Wendy's two for six dollars lets you mix and match some of our best items, like <gasps> Dave single with a ten piece crispy nugs, medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich, spicy chicken with a Dave single, Dave single with a strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade. If you're into that, chicken Sam crispy nugs, crispy nugs, strawberry lemonade, Dave's Dave's nugs, nugs, Sam Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's. On the card only, single item at regular price. So I've lived here now, or my wife and I have lived here with our family for about over two years now. Uh, and I can tell you with confidence, and I'm sure most of you know this, that you all are some of the most impatient people on the planet. Uh, and I'm finding that the longer that I've been here, uh, I don't know if I've always been impatient uh, or if that's just a byproduct of all the time we get to spend with one another. Waiting is not something that I enjoy doing. I like waiting to driveway onto 16th Street, you know, in the middle of the morning rush. Trying to make a right turn off of 16th onto Glebe Road. Maybe standing in line at Phil's Coffee. Phil's Coffee has great coffee, but it takes what seems like eternity for them to make it. We all know what it feels like to have to wait for Metro or even Uber. But waiting puts me in a mood that I don't necessarily like to be in. I become uncomfortable. And then when I become uncomfortable, I begin to find fault with just about anything around me. Except for, of course, myself. Fault in the system uh, is causing my delay. The fault in the people around me, because it's obviously my wife or my child's fault that Uber can't seem to find where we live, even though we're right off a major road. I just want to live in an instant world. I mean, Amazon same-day delivery and Instacart grocery delivery, like, we're almost there as a society. But the pace at which I want life to catch up to is not quite here. You know, on Mondays when I'm driving from our house over to visit my grandmother in Alexandria, Nora and I usually leave first thing in the morning to go. And I always get caught every single week at the crosswalk that connects the lot and the church. And I just keep thinking to myself, can't those preschoolers move their legs any faster? I've got places to go. I have things that I need to do. I mean, patience... It's really never been part of my vocabulary, but I'm afraid that it's quickly leaving our common vocabulary. I mean, there's a new economy that is being created around not just my lack of patience, but all of ours. Drones are being tested to deliver groceries, prescription drugs, and carry-out orders, after all. And I know some of you are thinking, well, we live so close to D.C., we will never own delivery But I wouldn't hold your breath on that. I think the pace of society is going to catch up to our impatience. Imagine, you're stuck on I-66 just trying to get home from work. And from your car, you'll be able to fill your prescription, order dinner for your family, and make a target run. And all of it will be delivered to your home before you make the left from Fairfax Drive onto Glebe Road. Without ever leaving your traffic-jammed car. I mean, for the most part, you can get most of those to-do items done from your smart device or from your computer. But right now, we have to be patient, wait for the algorithms of the cloud to catch up and cue us in the delivery. 
the Thessalonian church had grown impatient. Jesus told his disciples that when he departed, when he left this earthly life, that he was going to prepare a place for them. And that Christ, he then said he was going to come back and to lead his disciples, take them to the place. Jesus is coming back. And the good news is that he will restore all of creation, not just select parts of it, but every single corner of what God has created. The problem for the Thessalonians was this. Jesus didn't provide a timeline. There was no date circled on the Greco-Roman calendar or a feast penciled in for when this heavenly banquet was going to happen. The Thessalonians were one of the earliest Christian communities. And like many of us today, they earnestly expected Christ's return within the lifespan, within their lifespan, the lifespan of the first generation of Christians Their hope for the new age to come was was giving way as the realities of life became more challenging. The grind of everyday living, their posture of anticipation and gratitude to a posture of impatience. Community members were dying because of old age or persecution. Hardship seemed to have fallen upon those who earnestly believed Jesus had and would continue to free them from the bondage of this world. Rejoicing, prayer, and gratitude shifted to doubt, laziness, and a lack of focus on what Christ had promised. I mean, Jesus promised blessing upon the poor and the weak and those who found themselves mourning, But the heart of the rough road of life had overshadowed the promise of what was to come. And as that shadow grew larger and larger, the mundane of this life began to take priority over the promised hope. Redemption, fulfillment, and blessing. All of that, that was forgotten as the community traded gratitude for impatience. I mean... You can't blame the Thessalonians, though. I mean, the, the assumption was that Jesus was returning. Jesus was coming, as in, like, now. They viewed this lack of return as a delay or a lack on the side of God. Their impatience turned to frustration, which turned to despair. Hope was gone. They felt time was, was running out. Their impatience on their demand agenda, their demand timeline, blinded them to the the reality that through the resurrection of Christ and through his ascension, the kingdom of God, the kingdom they were waiting for, it was already present. The kingdom of God is present wherever Christians gather to worship, to serve, or to, to share a meal with one another. I mean, there are two kinds of impo that, that will block our gratitude. Rejoicing in God's goodness and shifting the focus of our lives. There's superficial impatience, you know, like the delay and Amazon shipping, and they give you no reason why. There were five items in stock when you ordered, but now it seems like they're getting a reshipment and there's no timeline for you. Or maybe being held up in traffic on a long holiday weekend as you're trying to dash out of town or find clean drinking water. There's super, this superficial impatience. It shouldn't be dismissed as invalid. 
But in these cases, resentment takes the place of gratitude when that delay is finally resolved, when that metro train finally shows up. And then there's justifiable impatience. And that's when the harshness of this life is only getting worse. The rough road is getting rougher and we lose sight, sight of the hope and love that is present in our world. How much more can I or can they take before the dark shadows of life fully block out, we feel, the light of Christ? Diana Butler Bass makes the point that negativity, justifiable impatience, is, it's not all our fault. The harshness of life makes gratitude towards or, or for anything, let alone our creator, feel distant and without necessity. Perhaps you've felt this way, and if you haven't, or maybe you do now, but we all know someone, or we've experienced this in some way in our lives. Paul's words, rejoice in all things, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. When I first read that, I thought, Paul, that's easier said than done for us and you know, for the ancient church. But like Paul's most famous words back in 1 Corinthians 13, everything on paper makes sense, but when the roughness and the dirtiness and the grittiness of life sets in, these words seem more like goals than a realistic guide or mantra for our community of faith. You can make verses 16, 17, and 18 into a mantra. You can go on Etsy and find decorative wall art that you can hang all over your home. You can find countless tattoos with verses 16, 17, and 18 on people's bodies. But the reality is, is a a posture of gratitude does not displace or remove the harshness and the presence of evil in our world. I mean, after all, go tell the oppressed to be grateful for their oppressor, or the abused to be grateful for their abuser. Go tell them that, and then come back and let me know how that worked out for you. Paul's not suggesting that we express gratitude, or that we rejoice and and give thanks for the evil deeds in this world. We need to be clear, this is not the Bible justifying or empowering perpetrators of evil and trauma. Paul is writing as a pastor to the Thessalonians, encouraging that community to rejoice and pray and, and to give thanks as acts of will, not emotions for their circumstance. Paul is encouraging the church then, and we read this today, to be a community of self-giving love, where those in the community, we, we nurture one another. We care about one another. When I ask you on Sunday morning, how are you? It's not because I'm trying to make small talk as I'm going from point A to point B. It's because I earnestly care. And we we cannot imagine doing what we do on Sunday mornings or what spills out of here into the week without one another. This is not an invitation from Paul for self-congratulatory or self-gratifying praises and, and prayers. You know, faced with hardship, Paul is offering A pastoral outline for what it means to be a community of faith. And these are the words for the the church when times are tough. Paul is inviting the church then and now to live in promised hope. New life that is found in Christ. 
A posture of, of gratitude is, is possible when we realize that Paul's words are not commandments or some new set of rules or what we would call the law that are required for us. Holy living that's part so that then we can in, in be invited into the kingdom that Jesus promised us. Paul's words are an invitation to step into the grace of God. It's an invitation to rely not on our own holiness, not on our own ability to give thanks and to pray and to worship, but to rely on the holiness of God in Christ. And now our own, and not our own righteousness or our own circumstance or what we can do for ourselves. Just like his words in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's words to the Thessalonians are more about our lives together in Christ than they are about our end attempts to be disciples of Christ on our own. Acts of gratitude expressed in rejoicing or, or prayer, that extends our worship from Sunday morning out into every aspect of our lives when we rejoice and we pray and we give thanks to God, we are doing so in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. You know, all of life, from sun up to sun down, is an opportunity to worship God with a grateful heart. Like any discipline, though, lives of rejoice, prayer, and thanksgiving, it takes disciplined practice, and frankly, it takes Patience. I mean, there will be days when people like me will be rock star exemplars of Paul's words. And then there will be days where you will see me on 16th Street when gratitude for God and Christ are everywhere else except on my mind. We are able to, re- to rejoice. We are able to assume a, a posture of gratitude because we know. We all know how the story ends. We know that through the power of Christ's resurrection, that evil, suffering, and death, the world will not have the last word. God has not abandoned us, and we can, we can look fully to the realization of the kingdom of God with hope. Because through the church, because of what we do together with one another in discerning where God is leading us, we are able to experience not only the grace of God through the table, but we can experience the grace of God through one another. And we can't think of anything else to do when when that happens, except to rejoice, to praise, and to give thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen.